live for episode 14 of the First Break Podcast. I'm your host, KYT. Joining me on this show is one of my most favorite, I say this every episode that he's on, that I have him as a guest, one of my most favorite players of all time. And he's now also the host of the game podcast. He's also just um, someone that Brian and I have mentioned, the only person that reveals his, what he's actually going to play the weekend enough. He'll mention it, whether it's on his podcast or in articles. Again, one of my most favorite people, not just a Magic player, people on in the Magic community, Jerry Thompson. How's it going, Jerry? Good, man. Kind words. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can't yeah, get a lot who, to live up to. Who cares? <laughs> they, they, sure, everyone knows what that guy's playing. Who cares? <laughs> what are they going to change? <laughs> Nothing. If only you could get that message out to everyone else in the Magic community. Oh, my God. Everyone is just <laughs> like, oh. Like, if you're anyone, they're going to know what you're playing by round two anyway. Yep. And if they're not going to change any cards, great. You know, like your round four opponent in the Grand Prix might be able to mulligan better against you. <laughs> I think you're still a 70% favorite, you know? Like, who cares? Yeah, well, we had this topic before about what's missing in the Magic content uh, world, at least from our perspective. Uh, Jerry, I, I know you work more with people at SCG and stuff like that. But to us, like a lot of people seem to phone it in. They just do like um, a deck of the weekend where they just give like a sentence or two of what they think. Whereas I felt like the only time I wanted an SCG premium account was honestly, not just cause you're here was because of you. You're the only one that I wanted to read because I was going to get the real lowdown, the real, the many different flavors of Cobblade, <laughs> what dark blade, everything that you're going to come up with. You were just going to put it out there. And you know, I've known you since 2010 and, and you've consistently done that. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have no problem with it. And it's like, for however good people think I am based on my results or whatever, like, that exists despite me sharing my stuff. So, <laughs> but I do you think PT it actually level? costs you, Jerry? Do you think, do you think it costs yeah. you to share your, your tech? No, it's uh, actually kind of funny. Because there are some stories, too, where it's like, I, I remember playing Callblade in one of the tournaments. It was round three or four, and my opponent's playing Boros, and he just, like, unloads everything, and I Day of Judgment him. And he's like, but your deck from last week didn't have Day of Judgment. And it's like, oh, you should have read my article, you know? <laughs> so it, like, kind of costs other people, too, who aren't tuned in. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't think it's a big deal. Maybe it has cost me, like, small percentage points. But even still, like, I would rather be known as the dude who is putting out real content. That's more important to me. Yeah, we, we've talked about it a bunch of times on this show, how you're one of the people who we feel like we can trust, who always is providing good stuff. And, uh, you know, this kind of came up around the whole the Pro Tour debate when people were kind of getting into it about sharing content the week for the Pro Tour. And I was in favor of that's the one week where kind of it makes sense to back off a little bit. And you can't just put it all out there. But uh, a lot of people take that attitude into every single week of either the SCG season or the GP season. Mm-hmm. And it's just a silly attitude to take. I think it's costing the community as a whole at this point. And what did I write about before the pro tour? Uh, I believe you wrote about the uh, Marty vehicles deck, correct? Oh, weird. Yeah. I ended up not playing it because I'm weird and crazy. Uh, I don't know. I, I generally do not go with whatever the team thinks, but like I definitely helped them with that deck. And for a day I was on it, you know? Uh, so at that point, I was on it. Not a lot of other people were. And then as people start, like slowly started getting on it, then I was like, guys, is this okay? Can I write about this? Because I care about them. I care about their feelings, you know. 
But yeah, I was I was going to ask about that, like how much this has affected you with teaming situations, you know, when you're putting out this type of content, because it's something like we like we read and I know our listeners read, but you're very revealing a lot of these like decks and texts and a lot of other pros aren't like that. So, yeah, it's it's funny because I am generally not the person who is playing the team deck. So normally it's like I work with them and, you know, draft and help them with constructed or whatever. And then I just do my own thing. So uh, normally it's like I just write about that. Most of the time it doesn't come up like this where it actually has the potential to screw over my teammates because obviously I don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, this this time they're just like, no, you have a job to do. Do it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I think the content's better. And I know that's something that came up. I was at home this weekend watching the GP and they had you in when you were 12 and 0, I think, commentating on a match and Twitch chat was going crazy. Like, yo, this guy might play one of these two. What if he gets an unfair advantage and it's a slightly different angle on the same take of what's more important, good content or, you know, personal um, people's tech being secret. And I was really happy to be listening to the coverage. You know, it was excellent. So yeah, it's kind of on a similar vein. It's just interesting. You know, what are the levels that we should be secret versus just produce good content? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, so the thing that, kind of was weird to me. It was like, I know what Bobby's playing. Bobby's been playing Amulet for forever. Uh, the Open, he won. I played against him in that tournament, and I've seen him around a bunch. So, like, he, he's always playing that deck, basically. But his opponent, I probably would not have scouted, you know? So, like, if I did play against him, then, yeah, I know what deck he's playing, and that's unfair. But when I sat down, they made a, a good show of just, like, you know, picking up all the deck lists and, like, making sure there was nothing around and not talking about what's in people's sideboards and stuff. And I said this on air that... I, you know, if you ask me, I could get like 90% of their deck list right. Like at least they're 60, you know? So I don't think it's that big of a deal. The scouting thing is kind of a big deal. But like if I cared, I could just be watching the stream. I just don't care. And that's why I wouldn't have known. Yeah. It's not like you don't have access to that information anyway, if you really wanted it. So right. we, we don't have to pretend. Um, speaking of Twitch chat going, going bonkers, one of the other things that Twitch was kind of up in arms about uh, during coverage of this tournament was whose deck were you playing this weekend? A lot of people were kind of, uh, you know, mad at coverage for giving you credit for it. And uh, so I thought maybe we'd give you a chance to just talk about the Genesis for your deck. Uh, for those who didn't see it, Jerry played a really innovative, uh, what, are we, what are we calling it? Are we calling it like Death Shadow Jund? Yeah, I, I was just calling it Jund Death Shadow. I think yeah. that flows a little bit better and kind of gets the point across. But yeah, really innovative, uh, at least, you know, two months ago. It, it's kind of been out for two months. People have been playing it online. They've been crushing it. There are a couple people that stream it. And we definitely did not build it. At no point did we say that we built it. But I think it was just like, this is a deck they hadn't really seen before. And they just kind of assumed, which is normally kind of fine when you're talking about like me and Sam and Raptor, like we're, we're all kind of brewers, right? So for them to assume that, I don't think it's necessarily incorrect. But uh, this time it was not correct. And Part of the problem was like I didn't know who built it. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, and I think a, a problem with uh, kind of this new era of deck building, where things kind of circulate around Moto, and a bunch of people are getting their hands into it and tuning the list. It's really hard to ascribe credit. And uh, I don't know. Do you think it's still important for people to get credit for their deck building innovations? Like, is it something that as a community we should try and do? Make sure people are getting noticed for their contributions. 
So as someone who I think is in the chair that I'm in, because I was credited with certain things, uh, I mean, I think it is important, you know, like, I, I don't know how much recognition I would have had if not for like dark depths and things like that. And just like tuning Callblade every week and, <laughs> you know, right. So if, for me to just be like, nah, like th- those people don't deserve credit. Like, that's just kind of silly. So I do think that they do. But the question is like, you know, how much work do you put into finding the genesis of their creator? Like people were tweeting at me and they're like, oh, I think it was this person. I think it was this person. And I was just like, no, I just like know that those aren't true. So it, it, I don't know. People just like jump to conclusions and stuff. But I think it is important. Uh, I think it's important to not mislead people. Like if you are playing a deck, you're like, hey, I'm playing a deck I found from Magic Online. Don't try and sell it off as your deck. And if you don't know who made the deck, then that's fine. You know, if you want to give props to the person because you know who made it, that's cool too. You know, I'm sure if you were in that position, like you would appreciate someone giving you a shout out, right? Kind of like ups your street cred a little bit. So uh, now I know the creator. Uh, I have it on good authority, I guess. Nicholas Lebon. Okay. Not someone I'm familiar with, but definitely good to give him a shout out here. Yeah. Good job, uh, Nick. I followed him on Twitter. So December 12th, there is a tweet uh, of him qualifying for the Pro Tour with basically this deck. It had Gitaxian Pro, but, you know, it's it's 50 of the same 60. And it just kind of went from there. Like Simon Gertzen started playing it, and then a French player got it from Simon, and then he started playing it, and then two people played it in the mocks, and they both went 7-0 or something, and then it just kind of went from there, you know? How did you guys end up on it? So for me personally, I, I wanted to play Grixis. I wrote an article about my deck and then I started looking at, you know, MTG Goldfish and like what the metagame looked like and stuff like that. And I was like, man, like the top 10 decks are just all horrible matchups for me. So I, I don't think I can beat Tron or Eldrazi or Scapeshift or whatever if I don't have a clock. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess now is a good time to play Kevin Jones's Grixis Delver deck, right? Because I'd wanted to play that deck for a while. Kevin keeps winning with it despite it looking horrendous. And... I, there were a couple tournaments, I think, where I was going to play it and then just kind of audibled off at the last second, and I think Kevin was a little disappointed, rightfully so, you know? And so I was like, all right, I'm going to do Kevin a solid. I'm going to play his deck. I think it's good. Let's do this, right? And then I started going deeper and deeper into the, like, Magic Online results, and this Death Shadow deck kept popping up, and I was just like, man, that looks weird. So the my first impression was, like, this is not, like, a busted deck or whatever. I was just like, oh, that's a weird deck, and then I saw it again. And then again and again, I was just like, oh, maybe this deck is good. And then I thought about it, and it's like, well, I basically just wanted Clock plus Disruption. This deck seems to be doing it a lot better than my deck. So, yeah, let's let's do this, I guess. And then I go on, like, my team Facebook page, and Sam's like, hey, I'm 14-3 in leagues with this deck. Uh, you guys should probably play it. And I was like, oh, I was already going to play this. That's great, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah, Raptor just hopped on. And as Sam played more and more with the deck, he was like, this deck is legit if you are – not Corey Burkhart. You should definitely play this deck because Corey's like locked <laughs> in on Grixis, has insane Grixis results, right? Uh, and then after the tournament, Corey's just like, hey, hey, Sam, you know, you, sh- you should have told me to not play Grixis and to play this deck. <laughs> <laughs> this was the time it was incorrect. I mean, I think the deck is, is super cool for the fact that if, it's really interesting that a fair deck in modern is hyper redundant 
has tutoring and all of its threats cost one or two. Like basically every spell in the deck costs one or two. It's exactly what a fair modern deck should look like, right? Like it's able yeah. to do things at a much faster pace and it does the same thing over and over and over. It's got eight cycle cards, uh, four tutors, which are online almost immediately. So it's just executing the same plan seemingly at will. Whenever it's time for it to go get a death shadow, it gets a death shadow essentially. Right. Yeah, um, and having basically no experience with the deck beforehand and just kind of going off of theory and off of Sam's word and some theory crafting with Raptor and stuff, it the deck played out so well. Like, obviously, we just crushed the tournament, you know? But even just, like, sitting there playing the games, it's just like, man, I have, like, you know, two or three lands every game. I have, like, as much discard as I want. I have as much removal as I want. And it, it did always seem like if there was something that I needed to find, I could find it in a reasonable amount of time. I was going to ask, um, how much time did you guys spend with the uh, slight variations? Because if you look at the three lists in the top eight, you know, you have different numbers on Rampagers, on uh, Fatal Pushes, the number of Team or Battle Rages, Tar Fires. Is that something you guys spend a lot of time talking about? Or is it more just like a personal kind of, no, I'm going to go with this. It's something I've always wondered. I think it's personal. Like Raptor and I shared a car ride from Seattle to Vancouver. So we talked about the deck a little bit and it was like, look, why, why, why do we not have push made? Why are these decays in here? Why are these like random clunky cards in this deck? You know, it seems like this deck is supposed to be like super lean. And so we kind of tried to streamline it a little bit. Uh, we talked about battle rage a little bit and I just felt like I never wanted to draw more than one. And it didn't seem super important in a lot of the matchups and rampage or death shadow is kind of the same thing. A lot of the time, so I felt like I could get by with one. Raptor was just like, no, like your theory kind of makes sense, but I'm not going to change too much. I'm going to keep the Teamer Battle Rage. But then he was just like, but Tarfire, that card sucks. I'm going to cut one of those. And he was, I, I think he liked the idea of Rallier, but I don't think he played it. I think, yeah, he just played Rampager. And then Sam was just like playing his deck a bunch and tuning it a bunch. And we kind of like didn't really talk to him the day okay. before the tournament. And uh, with your sideboard, uh, were there any other one ofs you were considering? Because you have Traverse, right? So you can grab your Cannonist, your Ranger, your Kataki. You know, those are a crucial three Fulminator for, to a lesser extent because you have three of them. You don't need to tutor as much. But I'm just curious, were there other things left off the drawing board? So uh, we can we considered a lot of stuff for sure. Like Reclamation Sage is a nice out to things like Bridge and Chalice and having a tutorable answer to that stuff is cool. A Scavenging Ooze, a Bajuka Bog, a Ghost Quarter. Like, all these things, and I think we play too many Traverse targets. I think the Kataki is just nonsense. Like, mm -hmm. even if you get Delirium on turn three and you cast Traverse and Kataki, like, how good is that against Affinity? You just skip your turn to play Kataki on turn three. You you might have had to do other stuff to get Delirium, too. Like, maybe you cycle a Street Wraith that you didn't want to, or you have to, like, blow a bobble in a weird spot or whatever, you know? So it's like you're, you're paying a cost to put a Kataki in play, and I am very skeptical as to how good Kataki is actually against them, especially once you've given them like two turns to actually play out their good cards and now they can just pay for them and kill you, you know? Always so, felt that way about Kataki. It's always so, it like, seems like it should be the best possible card and it's always underwhelming in every yeah. circumstance. So I never played against Affinity. I think Sam and Raptor both did. Uh, and I think Sam just like naturally drew his Kataki or something, and obviously that's fine. But, yeah, I don't think it was – it like, that shouldn't be in the deck probably. Like, I was kind of worried about Lantern too, so I justified it that way. But it's it's kind of nonsense and should probably just not be there. And the Ranger, I think, is actively good. Like, you definitely want something that is kind of like a two-for-one in grindy matchups. And 
they had the rallier main deck to just kind of hedge with that stuff. But I think the rallier is just nonsense because the three, two body doesn't really do anything for you except against Liliana, the veil. And if that's the case, then I think Ranger is just better too, because you know, if they have Liliana, the veil, they probably have a bunch of removal spells too. So you'd rather just get two death shadows instead of a shadow in the play earlier. So I don't know. I think the Ranger should stay the Canonist. I don't even think you need, like, I think the storm matchup is good. Uh, maybe we should have had Eidolon instead of Canonist for the Cheerios deck, but I think that matchup's good too. Yes, uh, Sam had the Eidolon of Rhetoric in his uh, instead of the Canonist. So. Yeah, I, I brought an Eidolon with me, and then I had to buy a Canonist when Raptor convinced me to play it. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just wish I didn't have the Canonist. I don't think you need that or the Kadaki, but you, you want Ranger Vios or something like it. Yeah, totally. No, it's it was super impressive to watch from home, like even lines where you're traversing for street wraiths in some spots or to to get two more life uh lost it, this deck is super sweet and if people haven't spent the time to watch the uh coverage i would urge people to watch it because it's really it didn't play out how i expected to being as someone who played death shadow in past seasons it's it's the same but so different right yeah you, you just shred their hand kill all their stuff and then kill them on turn four or five mm-hmm. so it is is like the world's best jun deck because it's so rare that you flood, like, all your cards are so cheap, you don't really care about random permanence because you have, you could play things like K-Command and Abrupt Decay, you know? So, I don't know, like, my opponent in top eight chaliced me, and I was like, great, that means you can't path my Tarmogoyf. (laughs) You know, and then my Tarmogoyf was just like 6-7 and just ran over his hate bears. Yep, and you can still cast like a tar fire to gain, you know, two types in graveyard if you really need Which to. Which I did. Right? Yeah, okay, there you go. I didn't even see that match, but so between <laughs> between the three of us, we used like every part of the buffalo. Like Raptor against Burn was at four life. His opponent had two Eidolons, and he drew the Rampager and got to kill his opponent with that. Wow. Uh, I traversed for Rampager to kill someone. I traversed for Street Race, so did Raptor. We traversed for Fetch Lands. We traversed for, like... I traversed for a basic land once because I didn't want to pay the life. Uh, we did, like, all sorts of different bobble stuff. Like, you can look like look at their top cards so you know what they're drawing and then play your discard spell. Or if you have a Fetch Lane and a Street Wraith, you can, like, look at your top card, see if that's the card you want to draw or draw a random card. You know, like, there's a ton of stuff going on. And uh, I even got to beat my opponent in the mirror with state-based effects. Wow. Wow. Which Just state-based like, effects? I want to hear this story. Uh, uh, Stephen Barnett, do you know him? I've heard the name personally, yeah. KYT? No. Okay, Van- Vancouver kid. Yeah. Uh, I think it was it was either Ao or Fung who said that he is definitely one of the top five players in Vancouver. Wow. Okay, and I guess I should know him. <laughs> so I, I play him round eight of the tournament. It's actually great, too, because I'm playing him and Raptor's playing his teammate, and we're all 7-0. And uh, this is game three. He has, he, he like, I cast the souls. He bobbled me, chuckled. I drew another souls. He surgicaled my souls in my draw step, and I had the other souls in my hand. So he just, he two-for-one me off surgical, which was insane. And then I'm, like, kind of losing this game. But he has two shadows, a Tarmogoy, four lands, uh, eight life, and a Maelstrom Pulse in hand that I know about. And I have a Death Shadow, a Tarmogoy, three land, a card in my hand that he doesn't know about, and I'm at six. So he draws a Thought Seize. We both go down to six. He gets to see the coast is clear. He pulses my spirits. And now if he attacks with two Death Shadows, I have to chump his Death Shadow, his uh, 
Yeah, it's a seven seven, and mine was a five six. So I have to chump his death shadow, and then our death shadows would trade. And he's like, "Well, if both of your creatures die, this Tarmogoyf attack is free, right?" So then he just like attacked with everyone. I blocked his two things. Uh, I take five damage down to one, and then my death shadow is now a twelve twelve, and yep. has six damage mm-hmm. on it or seven damage on it, and then I yep. just killed him. Oh man. <laughs> So yeah, just pay attention to that. Yeah, everything that could have happened with the deck happened. Like Sam was Liliana ultimating people and just nonsense. Yeah, the deck definitely makes me want to play modern, which is not something I say very often. I'm like the biggest modern hater in the world. No, I, um, I think I think we have to fight for that title actually. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I think I'm booking a ticket to an open this weekend in Indy. Wow, that's a, that's a serious move. Isn't that bad? That's pretty bad. I, I just feel. I, I just feel like my check is waiting for me. You know? <laughs> I understand. I've had the feeling before. All I have to do is show up, Brian. <laughs> Man, Death Shadow has been a card that you've had a love affair with for a while now. I remember, I remember playing a Death Shadow deck you built in Legacy a long time oh, ago. Oh, man, I was hoping people wouldn't remember that. Oh, I remember it. Uh, I actually, for Pro Tour Valencia, so this is, what year was that, 2014? Uh, the deck, I played Ad Nauseam, but the second deck we had was uh, Death Shadow Jund with, uh, what was the guy, the troll, who you could play cards from the graveyard and you'd get Barrels. XX count? Yeah, we were going to play that with Death Shadow, and we had, like, uh, Ink Moth Nexuses to one-shot you out of nowhere. Yeah, so it's, very, it's is- very similar to Glenn Jones's commander deck. Yeah, yeah, well, that's about how good it was. So <laughs> it's a good thing we didn't end up playing that. Um, but, yeah, Death Shadow's a cool card. That's definitely, uh, it's going to be a format definer for a long time, I think. It just does a very unique thing. Yeah, every couple of rounds I was checking the price on them. I was just like, yep, they keep yeah. going up. I didn't buy yeah, any. I'm so dumb. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one to buy a long time ago. Definitely keeps moving up. Yep. Jerry, I, w- I wanted to mention one quick thing about the, the credits thing. I wish they, it meant something on the, on the deck red sheet where it's like designed by because I've put your name many times and like – felt really good about it. I'm like, this is a Jerry deck, but no, no one knows. Like, no one knows it. And <laughs> it does get me curious, really, uh, when we're talking about the, the history of certain archetypes, especially in something like Legacy or Modern, certain different innovations. Because you mentioned how the deck that you played this past weekend was created in, in, in December. But I remember playing something really – well, it's not that close. But to me, as the outsider, he was the first to play Traverse in the Death Shadow version, which is Raptor himself – in an August mocks where everyone was playing the standard build and he decided he was the first, at least to my knowledge, to, to play Traverse. But I ended up not liking the deck because it also played like Swift Spears and uh, Norwood Dryads that end up not making it in the deck anymore. Had he mentioned to you about that version? So his deck was, he cut the white and he had an inner flame acolyte, correct? I Yeah. So I think... I don't know if this is one of the boxes where he got ninth or not, but he, he's gotten ninth in like two or three of them. But uh, he tricked Luis into playing the same deck, and I think Luis said it was atrocious. So, yeah, I, I mean, I do remember the deck, uh, but I still feel like it was more in the aggro spectrum than this deck. Like, this deck is definitely just a mid-range deck. Okay. So I, I feel like those decks are different enough that it's not like, yeah, Raptor played with Traverse, but like, people were already talking about Traverse and how it could go in the deck. And I think there are a lot of people playing Death Shadow Aggro that had like one or two in their deck too. They're just trying it, you know? And that that's like 10 people at the same time trying the same card. Maybe they weren't going as hard on it as Raptor was. <laughs> I ended up with the same conclusion at, at my PPTQ. Uh, this was like, I guess, almost 
half half a year ago where, where yeah it felt really the deck felt really inconsistent and i'm like i can't wait to try the the one you played oh it's so good <laughs> it's so interesting Jared? that it's a, a mid-range deck just from my perspective because it is but it's like an 18 land you know mid-range deck it's so i can't wait to try this like i've been selling out of moto or like trying to get my collection uh off of moto but now i kind of want to go like see if i can scrape this together and uh just start jamming leagues it looks so fun yeah i actually want to play magic too and instead of doing it this week i just have a bunch of work stuff to catch up on i have this podcast you know uh <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I would like to play but i'll just save it for this weekend Jerry, have you happened to have time to uh, Shattered Standard as well? Because I have a RPTQ coming up, and if you had happened to break that, I would be really excited, as I'm sure all of our listeners would be. So. Every single person that has asked me, like, so people ask me what deck they should play, and I, I do this with like movies and music and all this stuff too, where it's just like I'm I'm gonna give different answers for different people because I yeah. think I know people well enough to gauge their tastes and know what they would play well and enjoy and stuff like that. So most of the people that have asked me, I just told them to play the deck that won Pittsburgh, just like Sylvan Advocate, no energy, no delirium, non- just green, black, pound them. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. For, for you, you're a wild card, man. Your, your range seems like pretty infinite, so I'm not actually sure what you are exactly a master with, but I think nothing. that deck... Absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> Jack of zero trades. Yeah. Uh, I, Just, I think uh, would, really lucky, that's all. Sure. Uh-huh. I think you would do well with the black-green deck, but I, I do think my Marvel deck is good, too. Like, I, I actually feel kind of crappy that I was not in Pittsburgh. I needed a break. You know, I was gone for the Pro Tour for two weeks and stuff and just wanted to stay home. But I wish I would have gone and just, like, played my updated four-color list because I do think it's really good, and I knew that everyone was going to play black-green, and it just would have yeah. been a field day for me. Yeah, it seems like Marvel, if I was doing a lot of metagaming, it seems like Marvel of many varieties would be a great choice for this RPTQ. But this is just such a, a snowball-y, miserable standard format. I, I honestly thought I had a great deck for Pittsburgh. I played black-green, um, but I kind of came to the conclusion that cards like Grasp of Darkness were starting to border on unplayable just because how important uh, tempo and like just being able to keep up with your opponent's threats. So I just maxed out on Fatal Push. I played Gifted Aetherborn trying to generate board presence as opposed to Grasp of Darkness, uh, thinking that I could just get on board. And the deck felt insane. I lost a couple of really close matchups and that was the end of my day. Like, you know, just didn't draw the outs I needed. Um, But the whole time I was playing, I was like, this does not feel like great magic. What, what's your opinion on the current standard format? Does it feel like a good format to you? Is it too early to say? Am I just like a cranky old man who doesn't like anything anymore? I think you guys keep playing with black, green, and Mardu vehicles or playing against black, green, and Mardu vehicles. Like, play the four-color deck. Like, try I've, it. I've played it a little bit. It's Dude, interesting. It is way different than everything else, and especially, you know, if you're on the other side of the table, too. Like, they're always trying to kill you, and they have to play around a million things. It's super tough yeah. for them. Uh, and I, yeah, I just think my deck is really good against black green. I think it's maybe a slight favorite to Marty vehicles. It's a slight dog to control decks, but post board, you know, you get a bunch of counter spells and trackers and stuff. You just turn it into a fish deck. So I don't know. I think my deck is good, but, uh, like I, a couple people nine owed with it. Uh, one of the guys that I'm friends with David Haas and I don't know, it seemed like they ended up in top 32 or whatever, but kind of fell apart. Yeah. Maybe for a small field where you just need to pull out like, you know, a 6-1 for an RPTQ, it might actually be exactly what you're looking for. So 
interesting side topic, if you guys want to talk about this for a little bit. I was just thinking about my results since I came back from Wizards and stuff, and I made a little tweet about this where I've top in two Grand Prix. They're both modern. I strongly dislike modern. I try to avoid modern tournaments. Uh, but yeah, the only tournaments that I've top aided were with Eldrazi and this Death Shadow deck. Both decks that I feel like are just pretty busted. They're, yeah. you know, head and shoulders above everything else. And it just makes me wonder if I'm supposed to be trying to find decks like these instead of, you know, playing crap like Grixis or whatever, right? And I wonder if, if the same is true for Standard, where it's like, man, you're just better off like playing this this four-color deck that's hard to play against and has a lot of powerful mid-range cards. Like, Gifted Aetherborn is fine. Maybe it's better than Grasp of Darkness. It's not better than Grasp when, you know, they have a heart and you're at four, and, like, mm-hmm. that's your top deck, right? It's a bad top deck. Yep. Uh, and I'm, I'm just trying to get away from that stuff. You know, like, all my cards, I just want to be live and powerful. That's it. I think that's an interesting statement. That's how I approached magic for a long time. Like just be doing more powerful things than everyone else. And I don't know. I think I let the format kind of warp my thinking for a little while. Uh, It feels to me like magic's changed to some extent. And honestly, it could just be my preparation and understanding of the format. No. So So what you're saying about it being snowball is definitely true. Things like Verter's Gear Hulk and Gideon. And to a lesser extent, even just having like a four, four vehicle on turn two, like Sarah Angel for two mana, like, you know, if you fall behind, you're dead. These yeah. decks do not give you a lot of time. There's no good way to catch back up. So, yeah, the, like the games, especially with those two decks, are going to be very snowball But there are other options, you know. You can certainly work outside the box and come up with some stuff, and that's kind of your job, man. I guess it is. Yeah, maybe I'm just lazy, actually. That's the problem. I, do, I want it to be easy. I want to go back to the days where there was just a nice Jerry T deck just sitting in my inbox for me before every tournament. And I was <laughs> like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Sounds good. All right, four-color deck in standard. If you are you, – you have to be like a Stone Cold Master. You have to be Dave Shields, Matt Costa, like any of these dudes that were just like surgeons with Delver, you know, like those kind of people. Those are the people that would play this deck really well. Can I uh, can I ask you? You talked about like the top end of your results, you know, the GP top eights. Do you think that it's been polarizing? Have you had really bad results playing these type of decks as well? Has it been kind of like you're either going all the way or out early? I'm just curious because I don't know your. Uh, uh, last last year, I filled up all my grand prix with threes, and I lost playing for top eight twice in standard, once with Band Company and once with Green Devotion. Uh, so I guess the moral of the story is that I should be playing with like four, four creatures because it's like three, three green decks and an Eldrazi deck, which, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I was just curious. Cause it seems like with those type of decks for me, I've found that when I play these big, like more flashy decks, I'm either like doing really well or I'm just like out really early, but that's uh, just my personal experience. I find I am out very early when I play inventor's apprentice and you know, toolcraft exemplar and those cards. Cause Interesting. Yeah, the, the games are really close. You make a small mistake, you lose, and then it's just like you end up playing some game. Like, you can't just run over everyone every game, right? And there are just going to be some games where it gets to turn six and you draw and it's a 1-1 or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> God, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Instead yeah, I used of, to never put myself in that position. I would always be like, I just I can't play with these weak cards. I want all my cards to be live. I want to give myself the, the options to play out of every situation and – so the secret, the secret is you want all your cards to be live and powerful, but you also need to be doing the same thing as these aggro decks. Like you also yeah. just need to be hammering people. Mm-hmm. 
Because, you know, if you give them a bunch of time, they're just going to draw their sweet stuff too. And people are going to play like Ulamog when you're playing like Torrential Gear Hulk or something. You know, like you're going to pick like a nice mid, mid-range mid sized card, right, for your powerful option. And then other people are just going to be like, oh, I, I don't play by the rules. I'm just going to play nonsense and draw bigger cards than you or whatever. Like, I think you have to be aggressive, but find a way for your aggressive deck to actually just be full of powerful cards. No Gnarlwood Dryads, or Gnarlwood Root Dryad. No, it is Gnarlwood Dryad. I'm looking at it right now. Monastery Swift Spear, nope. Toolcraft Exemplar, nope. Get out. Jerry, uh, can you just tell me what you mean by this, uh, let's say for an upcoming big tournament, you're, you're saying busted, consistent, all your cards are alive. I, I just want you to know, like redefine like the key points. Because, like, is it sure. – does that mean you're not playing, like, uh, does busted mean – could it be a busted combo deck? Like, now you're talking about 4-4s. Four I just want to know exactly uh, the, the whole new so, approach if you're going to go that way. Yeah, Eldrazi and this Death Shadow deck are very similar in that they disrupt your opponent. They have the biggest things on the battlefield. And just because it's a lightning bolt format, it means a lot of your stuff can't die. And there are some dead cards, like Eldrazi had the second Eye of Ugin – uh, you know, sometimes it was the third Eye of Ugin or whatever, but uh, sometimes it's removal spells in a dead matchup or, or a matchup where they're dead. Sometimes it's like a Drowner when you only have five lands. Like, you're going to draw dead cards at some point, but if you are able to win games when you only need three cards, you know, you are, you're in spots where you are able to lose some of those games because, you know, you don't have enough resources because you're able to win some of the other games where you don't have enough resources, right? So... I multi five and four a lot with Eldrazi and won those games. I likely could have done the same with Death Shadow, just because you don't need a lot of cards to kill your opponent. And the Death Shadow deck has a bunch of like thought seasons and stuff, but you can't run a Death Shadow on turn one, so you end up playing it on turn three or turn four, and that generally means that your thought seasons are just going to like get one of the removal spells and protect your creature. So like I, I think there were like two or three times in the tournament where I drew a discard spell in like turn four and was like, oh, this sucks. It, like most of the time, it was just like. I want one of these and as many of them as I could possibly have. So it, you just you want to maximize the impact of your random draw steps versus their random draw steps, especially if you're trading one for one with them. What this Death Shadow deck does really well is, is it trades one for one. It does so with cheap cards. You don't have a high land count, so you rarely ever flood out. And things like Tarmogoyf and Death Shadow are basically kind of unkillable, and you leave them stranded with cards that are virtually dead. Like sometimes Lightning Bolt can do something, you know, it can always like threaten to kill you or whatever, but most of the time it's not doing a whole lot in their hand. Okay. Um, I, for some reason, I don't know it, how much you think it's related, but as I've uh, played over the years, I know a lot of pros tend to stay away from, it reminds me of this, that they stay away from decks with a lot of mana dorks because they feel like those are dead draws later in the game. Did you think that way at all? I mean, there, there are obviously certain decks where, the mana creature is part of your strategy, right? Like, if Band Company were a good deck in Modern, like, I would definitely want to go from one to three and have that be, like, the powerful aspect of my deck. But I would also want to build it in such a way where if I don't have my mana creature or if they bolt it or if I miss my second land, land drop but have a bird's like, I want to have some two mana cards that allow me to keep playing the game, you know? Uh, but, yeah, th- those are – they're high variants. It's just what they are. Like, they're very powerful. It's – uh, a one-mana mox, effectively. It's killable and everything, but it has summoning sickness, and sometimes you end up, like, casting a bird when what you really wanted to make was to make your land drop, you know? So they have a lot of downsides, too. And 
if what would what it would take for me to play a bird deck is that if what I am doing is way more powerful than everyone else. Like I was playing Green Devotion in Standard. I played it at one of the Pro Tours, and I thought it was really good. Uh, and part of the reason for that was because just ramping into like Pelucranos and Whisperwood Elemental and stuff, they just killed your opponent. They couldn't deal. <laughs> um, I, I do want to ask, I, I think we, we asked this a lot uh, on our show already. I think Brian and Doug and I are, are, might be tired of it, but uh, Jerry, with, with all these people that, that played your deck and other people analyzing the stats, we had mentioned it, all these sickos doing super well with like unprecedented stat we've never seen before at, at the GP level. Uh, people are going to start thinking, like, is, is a ban going to start happening? And, and what's your view? Is, is the modern metagame healthy? All right. So what happened for me at the Grand Prix was round four, I played against Tron. Round five, I played against Scapeshift. Round six, I think I played against Ad Nauseam. And the list goes on and on. And it's just a laundry list of decks that I would normally lose to in modern. <laughs> and it was pretty similar for my teammates too. And it just so happened that like burn was a good matchup, which is kind of counterintuitive, but yeah. a lot of my opponents were like, well, I have this idol on turn two. So I'm going to spike you on turn one. And I'm just like, thanks. You know, that, that actually just helps. Whereas if they might've saved up their, their bolts and spikes and stuff, maybe they could have tur- two turn lethal me. Right. But no one ever really did that. And then I was talking to Raptor and he was like, Oh no, one of my opponents did that. He knew what was up and I still just beat him. So it's like, okay, grip, burn. Burn's a good matchup. And it's just like, what, what, what's our bad matchup? Abzan? Like, I guess you could probably build Jun to beat this, or maybe you play less bolts, more pushes, more paths, and just have more ways to interact in general. And I, I don't know. I think just like a lot of the bad matchups for this deck are slowly going to disappear. Well, or, a, a, lot, a lot of the matchups that are bad matchups against this. So what like do you the think Tron, about Bandai Jerry? That seemed to be the one deck where I could see you having a really hard time. I played against it in the last round. It was very close. It, it did yeah. seem like a bad matchup too. But it like all the all the burn decks and stuff. Like they they either have to get really hateful or just disappear from the format until the format corrects. But like there is definitely going to be a shift. And I, I don't think this deck is inherently busted. This is not Eldrazi busted. It is just like a very good version of a good deck. And it just so happened that I played against all good matchups because that's kind of what the format was. And, uh, you know, if next Grand Prix I play against six Abzan decks or whatever, I'm probably going to get crushed. And then Tron will come back and it'll beat up on Abzan and so on and so forth. You know, that's the hope, right? The format just has natural churn. I was going to say it's even interesting, too, with your deck, just how much access you have to beat cards like Blood Moon, too, that are good against the old Jun, but you just traverse, you get your basics right off the bat. So, yeah, it's... It's really interesting. I I can't imagine what's going to happen to uh, to have this deck not just dominate the next few weeks. <laughs> well, Abzan is a deck that has been in and out, and I played against Jund and some people that were like would have been good with mid range decks, you know. So it's like they could have played Abzan. I'm sure it was like within a lot of people's uh, range and stuff. But yeah, for whatever reason, they didn't. They they probably were just like, oh, I can't beat Tron, can't beat Scapeshift, Burn's not great, you know. Uh, but if, if this deck kind of cannibalizes some of those decks, then Abzan's great. And if Abzan's great, you can't really play this. Hmm. Um, Jerry, moving on to other parts, aspects of the GP. Fortunately for you, you didn't have to plan for this or plan to have to play this. But were you happy with the announcement of the return of the regular PTQ on Sundays? Yeah, I think so. Like, going to a Grand Prix needs to be all-inclusive and in order for it to be all-inclusive, you have to have something worth doing for people 
you know, if they don't want to play in the Grand Prix, uh, something to do on Friday if they show up early, and definitely something to do on Sunday if and when you don't make day two. And the Super Sunday Series was fine. I really hate the idea of a tournament where you win an invite and then a year later you get to play in a tournament. So having it be a PTQ instead, instead of this thing, it definitely seems much better to me. And people just seem really excited about it too. That's because people hate our PTQs. That's, that's the main thing is that yeah. the standing system is so crappy that we're so happy to go back to the system that we had previously. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you've been out of the PTQ scene for a long time, but as someone who never really trained, I will not get over the loss of my old school PTQs anytime soon. I miss no. seeing my friends every week. It's, it's, it's like I'm playing a totally different game and the social structure that was in place is completely ripped out from under me. And I think about all the friends I made through PTQ in. And I mean, if I was just coming up in the game now, I would have never made any of these friends. I would have ne- never made any of these connections. I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys right now. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It, no. It's good that there's one regular PTQ, I guess. Yeah, but it's it's also not the same for you, right? Because like the good part of the PTQs was that you got to travel every week and see your friends, and it was just like, oh, I remember that thing from last week, and blah blah blah, you know. And now it's just like, oh, you have a one shot tournament that you can play in, and that's good, but it's certainly not going to be the same thing. No, like, no. For me, I think I went, uh, like, not like graduated or whatever, but like I started playing a bunch of opens, you know. I just moved up to those, and then it was like I have kind of this same group of friends, maybe not that I see every week, but like maybe there are some people that go to all the opens, like, you know, AJ and CVM or whatever during that time. And then there would be people like where every time I was in uh, Kentucky or whatever, I would see Bobby Graves. And every time I was in Atlanta, I'd see Corey McDuffie and stuff like that, you know? So it was like kind of cool, kind of the same thing. And now GPs are sort of similar too. And I don't know. It's, it is, it is nice, but it's not the same thing, and certainly not a lot of people have time to like fly to a Grand Prix every weekend. I don't even really want to do it, but yeah. <laughs> that does cross my mind quite often. <laughs> so I don't know, man. Get some non-magic friends. It's probably good for yeah. you. Anyway. <laughs> it, uh, I, I will just say, just from a Canadian perspective, it was a bit different too because we'd get like maybe two or three uh, an entire season that we'd travel to, and these are like a three-hour driver. I've done a fourteen-hour drive, so PTQs were like sweet, and now it's almost like there's no fun because every weekend there's some tournament you don't care. You know, <laughs> you, you wait three months for your one tournament, and you might have to fly across the country to go to it for us out west. So it's kind of cool having PTQs back as like another avenue. You've, you kind of feel like. For someone like me, who's not, you know, particularly a good player, never come close to training. Um, if you do bad on day one of the GP, you kind of have a rebuy to get that goal of the Pro Tour. So yeah. I, I think it's definitely cool for players at my level. Um, and a lot of our, our locals were really excited about it. The specifics of like pricing and stuff like that'll all figure itself out over time, I think. But uh, I hope I th- so. I, I hope so as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's. I think it's super cool personally. And uh, I, we don't quite have an open series the same way. Right. So it's, it's, you get like two shots at it, I feel like, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's good. And it, so the super Sunday series was sweet, but it wasn't a pro tour invite, you know, like right. I, I think most people would rather just have a pro tour invite. Like I saw AO's thing. He posted, he, I think he got second. He got 22 boxes. Yeah. And he was like, damn it. You know, like I don't want the invite, right? Yeah. Uh, look, twenty-two boxes. That's so many packs. Yeah. Why, why did the he pro get twenty-two boxes? Was that really just that the, was the second place? No, I don't that know. was 
That was actually second place. There must have been some bartering though. Like no, it must man, have been like, like they put all the prize to second or all the non like invite prize to second place, maybe? It was like that's I, I something know. I used to do a lot. I'm asking a lot of locals about the prizing and supposedly and like they split the PTQ up into eight kind of flights and each flight would put one person into the top eight. And it was like if yep. you three two to flight, you got a booster box. Oh wow. And <laughs> if you got second in the flight so you didn't make top eight, you got hundred and fifty packs. Well, you got I mean, fifteen hundred uh... tickets. So that's sure, hundred and fifty okay. packs. Right? Got you. So I mean... like yeah, like no jokes. The entry fee was high. It was like $75. Or at 80 US, I think. Yeah. Oh, so. okay. Jeez. And then, I mean, there was there was a discount, I think, if you like day two'd but dropped to play they, the DQ. I think they took that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, if you were literally qualified for day two and dropped, you'd get a discount. Yeah. But not if you, yeah, missed day two. Yeah. So, I mean, you're paying 75 bucks. You could basically get a box for $75 if you look hard enough. Yeah. For $80. So. I, I guess that kind of makes sense to me. It's just like you go three and two, you get a box. Like, sure. I mean. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize these were like high roller PTQs. This is super exciting news. <laughs> I've been saying it forever. I want GPs to cost $500 and nobody's dude, on board with that proposal for some reason. So. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I, dude, I, I have said that for like, make me really comfortable. Bring me in a nice cushy chair. I don't care if there's only like couple hundred of us playing will actually enjoy the experience instead of being shoved into a crowded convention center and coming home with some rare incurable <laughs> disease. Every yeah, time. Let, let me just pay for those four dudes and then you kick them out, you know? <laughs> someday, someday we'll have the $500 PT or GP. <laughs> it, it is interesting though, what you were saying though about AO. Cause like I was having a conversation with him earlier today um, about the event and uh, it's just crazy how much that Pro Tour invite is worth, you know, for a lot of people, especially if you've been there, if you've had even a bit of success and, you, and then you fall off and you want to get back. But for up and comers, that first Pro Tour means so much and definitely the Sunday Super Series didn't feel the same. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't compare. Yeah. So it's cool that it's back, I think. Um, and it didn't even cap out in Vancouver. So it's not like this is this crazy thing that's going to, you know, have all of these people sad that they, they didn't get to play in it or whatever. Cause they, they had a limit cause of that flight structure that I talked about, yeah. uh, eight flights maximum. So they just had an upper limit, but, and it ended 30 minutes after the GP AO told me, so it didn't even take all night. Yeah. It's um, not bad. That's when the finals finished. So, um, yeah, I, it's cool that it's back, I think. And PTQs were a big part of my upbringing in magic traveling. You know, I drove 14 hours to qualify for Barcelona, 200 people there, one slot and three of us in the car. So the best case scenario is two people are going home upset. Like yep. <laughs> we did it. Right. And like, luckily I was the one guy that was happy, but, uh, my point is like, you know, I'd go, I'm honestly more likely to go to a GP. It's truly from Canada because I'm spending $500 to fly anywhere, minimum 500 Canadian. Yeah. Uh, so I'm more likely of knowing that I have two shots, like straight up. So that's good. Uh, what, what does this do to the amount of Pro Tour invites that are given out? That's a good question. How many GPs are there in a year? Is it like 30 like some? 50 some GPs, 50 GPs, I think. So you're assuming 50 more invites. I mean, it didn't seem like they cut from anywhere. So um, the only thing is that. I, I do think GP numbers are down. So there's less of like the 13 2 invites being given out where you miss top eight. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, that's pretty small, but that could be like kind of where they're getting those slots from. I, I bet 
you see like a 25 slot increase at the next pro tour. It'll, it'll be 25 people bigger. Okay. Um, which I'm sure they can, they can stand to bear. Like they're not rooting the economics of the pro tour, but taking on those 25 people. They can, um, but what happens when they have to add 25 more and exactly. And the line, there's always a line somewhere, right? And you have to decide where you're yep. going to draw it. Um, I guess they drew it at a few more and uh, we'll see how the numbers shake out when the next pro tour comes around. Doug, did most of your friends uh, have a good first impression of, of the system? Um, yeah, so I was I was asking earlier, and when I said 3-2, I guess it was actually 3-1 because these fights were single elimination. Um, uh, okay. So, which makes sense, 32 people, that's how they can pay out. Like, if you 5-0, you're in the top eight. If you 4-1, you get 150 packs. If you 3-1, you know, it, it goes down from there. Um, that This is what I'm being told from people. Some people are pretty upset, you know, $80 us 01 drop but like that's kind of just the the way i guess it goes uh but yeah most I people seem pretty, that's awesome most people seem pretty happy <laughs> from what i've found there was just debate on the prizing i've had some people tell me the prizing was insane and other people being like you know they should have given away more if they're charging this much and that's going to happen right so well, um, it's it's a matter of doing a payout that goes down really far, or doing a payout that's really top heavy, right? Exactly. And seeing, seeing what people want, like I don't know, I, like if you're paying eighty dollars and you lose your first round and you're out, I think that's bad for you. But you can't run this PTQ like three hundred people nine rounds starting the morning of the grand for like right. you're going to be there for three hours later or whatever. So like. Totally. You kind of have to, you know, think about more than just yourself and your experience and like, you know, do, would I prefer to play in this tournament or just not have it exist at all, right? <laughs> totally. And there was a lot of hype, like I said, going in from, you know, Alberta sent a lot of people to, to Vancouver and there was a lot of people hyped about this idea that if you bust out of day one, you can play in a PTQ. And I know from my experience in Toronto where I uh, top eight of the Sunday Super Series and uh, – and I played in that right after I finished in the top eight of the GP. I was kind of like a drag, even playing the tournament. I was like, this isn't like, I'm not even that hyped about it anyways, because yeah. it's just the Sunday Super Series. And there was no additional prizing in the top eight for that one. So then when I lost to Jarvis, like two and a half hours later, it was just like the worst feeling ever to like <laughs> all my friends went out for dinner, you know, and I could have celebrated top eighting a GP. And then no, I just played this shitty tournament and got nothing because invites <laughs> don't pass down and he didn't even go. So she <laughs> lost to Jarvis, which is anytime you lose to Jarvis, it's that much worse. Oh, uh, you have no idea. Can't, can't confirm. <laughs> it was it was even <laughs> Jarvis. brutal way to lose. But no, like my point is like there was just no excitement for me in that tournament. And it was like, yeah, I could go to Watsi to like see that that'd be cool, I guess. But Pro Tour, like that's all I wanted, right? Like when I when my name got called in eighth place on breakers, like I was like, oh my God, I'm going back to the Pro Tour, right? It meant more than the money to me. So I don't know. Yeah, it's PTQs badass. are awesome. <laughs> Especially for you, Jerry, the Sunday series had to be a real downer because if I think about like winning a tournament and getting to go to somewhere where I was previously employed, that sounds like yeah. an absolute nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the oh, yeah. last thing. Like, I don't want to win a huge tournament and have to go back to my old law firm. Like, just kill me now. That sounds yep. terrible. <laughs> yep. uh, no, I, I lost in the finals of one of them, got six boxes, and I'm like, I'm not even sure which one I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Well, Brian, you want all these, like, high roller tournaments, but uh, 
small small minority i think um, yeah I, I you know it's not something that will ever happen i know and do you guys remember there was a high roller tournament uh it was about a year and a half ago i feel like and it was in las vegas and it had like this preposterous prize structure and they just didn't pay anyone <laughs> like they got a, this was card again yeah yes yeah nobody showed up they didn't pay anyone so i guess it's just not something the magic community is clamoring for um, we're probably never going to see the high roller tournaments, but a man can dream. Um, when you talk about PTQs and, and seeing your friends, I don't remember when we first met, Brian, actually. I don't actually remember that. It, it may have been PTQ situation. Uh, it, it also might have been a GP. But yeah, I mean, like, there's, a, there's a million friendships I can trace back to PTQs. Like all the Northeast yeah. guys like Costa and Dave Shields and Ben Lundquist and these people who are like, amazing magic players who taught me a bunch and who I looked forward to, you know, playing magic against every weekend. I just would have been deprived of that experience. And then like, you know, Mike Sigris for years, I was just, he was just the guy I battled in top eights of PTQs. Like, <laughs> and you know, he's one, one of the best players in the world and you miss out on all these experiences. And it wasn't only the fact that what I got out of it, it was just the community that we built around it. We all knew each other. And it was really interesting because once once you kind of establish this top tier, we were metagaming against each other most of the yeah. times. We weren't metagaming against the field. It was oh, like, yeah. well, you know, what is this guy bringing? Because he's the guy I'm going to play in the finals. So, like, I remember showing up. It was the first week we had kind of uh, figured out a white-blue Tron list in Modern, and Ben Lunk was working on it a lot. And so me, Ben, and Dave Shields were all playing it. And... One by one, we were all like slipping annexes into our sideboards, <laughs> drawing pieces from each other. But that's just how it goes. Like, yeah, it was a, a great experience, and uh, maybe it'll come back someday. <laughs> I miss that. I mean, I, I miss all of it, but I, I do. I appreciate that. I don't feel the need to go to certain of these PTQs. Or I feel like I have a lot more free time. But uh, a funny story I'm thinking of, and Andy's mentioning in chat where because we, we used to see each other at all these PTQs week after week, that when we finally saw each other at a GP, we're both like, didn't you quit? Like, we actually thought that, <laughs> that we quit the game because we hadn't seen each other for ages. But it's like, no, I've been, I've been grinding PPTQs. So it just reminded me of that. So shout out to you, Andy. Uh, one last thing uh, Jerry really wanted to pick your brain on was uh, the other, a lot of these organized play announcement uh gp related which was the one where um if the gp is standard the pdq has to be limited and if the p if the gp is limited then then the ptq on sunday will be standard uh what do you think about that and and b should modern players around the world be be panicking i i don't even know what you're talking about <laughs> i seriously don't so for for the format like uh, the the TOs um, are forced, at, like for the PTQs, either limited or standard. Well, it's a flip, like you flip from what the GP it, is. It has to be a different format, basically. Yeah, right, so right. If, if it's a constructed GP, it has to be a limited PTQ. Why? And if it's a limited GP, it has to be a standard. So PTQ. the reason they give, I, I please correct me if I'm wrong, because I thought I was crazy when I read this, but the reason they gave for doing this is so people didn't have to prepare for two formats. That's what they said, right? Like, yeah. wasn't that the explanation they gave? They, they didn't have to bring two decks. You didn't have to bring a standard deck and a modern deck was the reasoning for, was one of the reasons I remember reading. But you already okay, so, brought, 
so, I don't so know. that's why know. that's why you cut modern. I get that. But yep. if you test for a standard tournament, I feel like you you bomb out of the standard tournament, and the first thing a lot of people think is like, "Man, I just need another shot." You know, just yeah. let me change, let me change five cards. I can do this, right? It's not like oh, go and be a seal deck. No, I don't want to do that. Right. Game one standard. What's even worse, like you've traveled to limited GPs. They're the best. You don't bring anything, right? You just grind moto, and then you show up and you crack your packs, right? Like yeah, nope. minus minus the grinding moto part. Okay, sure. But uh, now all of a sudden you have to bring a standard deck with you and it's like, it almost feels dirty, I imagine, because you're like, well, this is if I uh, bust out of the limited portion, right? Oh, yeah. I remember doing that back in the day where it's like, I would would go to a limited tournament and it's like, I'm not going to bring anything because I know I'm going to make day two. And then I'm just like, anyone got any standard cards? (laughs) Because it's like, I want to be the optimist, right? And then, yeah, you just lose. But also, how often do you go to like a standard GP and you're debating between two decks and finally you're like, all right, I'm just going to play this one. And you do terribly and you're like, oh, man, I wish I played that other one. Well, now you have the chance to in the standard. <laughs> like there's so many options that are opened up by just keeping it the same format. I, I don't know. I can't believe that anyone really wants it to be two different formats. That seems crazy to me. Yeah, I don't get that. It, it seems even like bad for the TOs, right? Because it's like, I, I don't okay, know. I guess they, things. Yeah, I guess I guess they have like a bunch of product on hand for like side events and stuff, too. But it's like. Then you, if there's, you're expecting a bunch of sealed decks to be opened, no matter what kind of Grand Prix you run, right? So no matter what, you have to bring a bunch of extra product and stuff. It's it's probably a minor thing, but kind of a tilt. That's a real thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't get it. I can't <laughs> I can't even play devil's advocate. I don't know. <laughs> That's what the, most of the pro a lot of pro response was like they just don't understand why it's not standard standard limited limited. Um, but Jerry, what, what do you think? Do you have any opinions on them, like seemingly pushing off modern? Uh, I mean, modern seems to be doing okay, and I I don't know. It seems like it was promoted as a pro tour format to try and help grow the format, and now the format has grown, and it's like, well, well, I don't know. I feel the pro tour thing is weird too, because like I kind of was there when we were talking about maybe not making modern a pro tour format anymore. And I was all for it because every time a pro tour happened, we had to ban cards. So that's not good. That's not good for anyone. That's not good for the health of modern. And then it's like, well, modern is doing fine. People still play it. They're going to continue to play it. And it certainly needs some representation, right? Like I I found out that it's not part of the mocks either. Well, I didn't know that. So I played the mocks last year, and it was four different formats, if you want to count limited as a format. And uh, now it's just standard and draft. So it was like, you know, I had to prepare for like three or four things, depending on how well-versed I was in limited already. Uh, And now it's just like you have to prepare for standard, and that's it? Like, I I get cutting legacy. Everyone's kind of doing that, right? But, like, why cut modern? And, like, why make it a a two-format tournament over 14 rounds? Like... I don't know. I feel like most of the people there want to play all these different formats, but if only there was like some kind of seasonal thing they could do with modern where like, I don't know, say every weekend you went and played a tournament uh, in the same format over the course of a season and maybe, you know, tried to get to the pro tour or something, but that's probably just too outlandish and would never work. Oh, but then you would have to play standard and draft at the pro tour. And that's, that was their explanation, right? Was that they don't want to prepare for two things. I don't know. I, I honestly, as much as I hate modern, I enjoyed modern P, old modern PTQ season because it was the same thing where you like the biggest flaw at modern is in metagaming. It's very difficult to metagame. You can't really do that. Yeah. Um, but by week three, 
in your local BTQs, you're like, all right, I got this. Exactly. Exactly. And that was that was when I I did enjoy modern back then. I thought it was interesting. I made interesting deck building decisions. I made interesting deck choices. Um, you know, the games still had the same inherent flaws of modern, but you were able to look past that to some extent because there was a lot of decision making going on kind of behind the scenes that I enjoyed. Um yeah, bring back PTQs. Anyone listening, please make make the RPTQ stop. I can't take it anymore. I'm probably just going to skip this one this weekend, to be honest with you. Don't do <laughs> that. Did you oversleep the last one? Yes. I did. Yeah, I did. You're the worst. I played the Moto one, though. It wasn't like I just didn't. Well, I mean, I played it, quote unquote. I OT dropped with an unplayable deck, but okay. I participated in it. Anyway, you got your Snapcaster promo. Your six, yeah, that's what six matters. ticket Snapcaster promo. I've since sold it. I sold all of my Moto, uh, older Moto cards. Jeez. All right. Well, Modern needs some representation for sure. Uh, Agreed. Scaling back on everything very quickly seems, I don't know, just like jumping the gun a little bit. Like, take it slow, see what happens. Well, they're a big, like, standard push right now, right? Like, isn't, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Nationals all standard as well? Like, just all standard? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they they didn't... I I thought they said, like, literally all standard, not mixed. How big is that tournament going to be for the U.S.? Because they said, like, 500 Planeswalker points or 300 or something. everyone's qualified. 500, everyone's qualified. That's ridiculous. I don't want to play in a 2,000-person national. Yeah, it'll, it'll be GP-sized, I think. No, it is, it is literal nationals. Everyone is there. Everyone yeah. in the is there. Yeah. <laughs> Super nationals. Jerry, I, I want to ask one quick question, and you can pass on this question because it's a difficult question, and I understand why you may not be comfortable Hit answering me. it. Hit me. Are, are you pleased with the job that Wizards is doing with Magic right now on the whole? Well, obviously, that's a lot of things. And that's a lot I, of things. I don't necessarily have the answers to all these things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it, the, the question is, everything? Am I happy about everything? No, it's just like the direction of the game. Um, overall, do you feel good about the state of Magic right now? The thing I like the most is that they are willing to learn from their mistakes. You know, you like stuff have happened, stuff has happened over like this last year and a half uh, where it's just like, okay, hey, we learned some lessons. These these were the, and like they, they share that too. It's just like, this is what happened with Embrical. This is what happened with Copter. This is what happened with Company. Like all this stuff, right? And they're just like, this is what we learned from this. This is what we're going to do better in the future. They're already talking about like, potentially making cards that are better with interacting with stuff. So things like Gideon don't spiral out of control and, you know, the, the cat combo and stuff like that. So I like that. They, they are very self-aware. They know exactly what's going on. They listen to feedback. They're willing to try different things like that to me is an indicator of like good things, right? It's better to have that than just be like, nah, like you guys are all stupid. We're the ones that are right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Like nothing good can come of that attitude. So this is the right attitude to have. And I don't know, eventually like Moto will get figured out, whatever it ends up being. And uh, yeah, people will figure out how to run PTQs or whatever sort of qualifying system works better, best for everyone in the universe. But I, it's one of those things where I feel kind of awkward where I'm just like, Oh, you know, give it three years or whatever, because I've been saying that for three years. So yeah. It's, it's kind of tough, but uh, I know firsthand that their job is not easy. 
So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you want. You know, well, like you, that's a great answer. That's, and that's exactly the perspective I wanted to get from you. So you do know firsthand uh, the difficulties that come with it. And I think that, you know, especially myself, I could be really hard on Wizards decision-making sometimes, but you, you bring up a very good point is that they adapt and adjust and listen and they make, I, I feel sometimes too many mistakes, but they do correct them. And, uh, you know, you have to give them that. What, what so more can you ask? Goes. You know, I don't, yeah. care if pe- I don't care if people make mistakes. The people that, like, you know, tilt me or make me angry or whatever, neither of those words is correct, but, you know, just kind of irks me a little bit, are the people that make mistakes and then they, they, I don't care to correct them or they are adamant that they did not make a mistake. Agreed. That is frustrating. We've talked many times on the show about how important mistakes are, how that's what you learn from. That's definitely like a, I feel a recurring theme for this podcast. We've we've brought that up, and I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I just read some stuff recently where it was like you can't win until you lose a bunch. Very true. So there you go. Good answer. Can't win until you lose a bunch, Wizards. Remember that. Well, and they have been really quick recently, like at putting out some announcement, getting some very quick feedback, and then making a modification to that uh, announcement. So, yeah, you can't really do much better than that unless you're just not making, you know, some of these announcements. But a lot, a lot of it is about iteration too. Like, I definitely want to stress that where they can do a thing, screw it up, get feedback, and not necessarily know exactly, you know, where to put the needle or whatever. But if they do something and it's like a little off, then they'll adjust, right? And then eventually it'll get to a place. And I also think that they are pretty good at anticipating things. Like that is basically what the RPTQ system was, was that like a lot of the PTQs were getting too big and yeah. the system was created not only with fixing that issue, but also uh, was anticipating like magic to get bigger. And what happens like if these smaller tournaments get bigger, like this system is able to contain even like more people playing PPTQs. Right. So like that sort of thing I think is really underappreciated and I think is just sick. Like, it is awesome that they're able to do that. And, again, maybe it doesn't work. It doesn't work for everyone. Uh, But, you know, they they are not only trying to, like, fix the problem, but get ahead of it. Yeah, and I think Nationals slash WMCQ was exactly what you just described. They figure split into three. You're going to cover more area, more people, potentially more growth. But it kind of didn't go that way. Like, in places like Canada, especially, I feel like Nationals was just better than the WMCQ system as far as like attendance and hype and like the luster of it. Right. Like that was a big thing for us was nationals every year. And so they're, they're willing to reiterate back. Yeah. There, there are difficulties with holding one big tournament and difficulties with holding a bunch of smaller tournaments. Yeah. And I I don't know what the answer is. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised that no one has figured this out. Not necessarily wizards, but just like people on Reddit. You know, like if no one on Reddit has come up with a good solution to any of these problems, like maybe it doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> maybe. <Right? laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like, is is that even a real thing that I can say? Like, should I expect the good people of Reddit to solve everything? Because they I basically mean, do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Do we have time for another question, KRT? Because there's something no, I don't want to. No, we don't wrap up, but Doug, do you have any life-shattering question you have for, for Jerry? <laughs> Not life-shattering, but I'm just curious from uh, your perspective. We talked a lot about on this podcast the team series um, and were we hyped for it and kind of what our view as, you know, three to five outsiders who weren't playing the Pro Tour. From your view, like, how was the experience in the team series? Do you like it? Is it fun or 
was it kind of just this other thing or i just kind of wanted to know your opinions on it jerry i basically don't like it and there are a lot of reasons for that but i also think i got pretty lucky in how things turned out where uh, i decided to work with the whatever was formerly known as ultra pro which is uh at this point cfb fire and mutiny and also rich owen and then some other people that work with the team but aren't qualified currently or whatever so uh i lucked out pretty much by getting together with a good group of people and i was like i don't care about this team thing you can do whatever you want with my name and then i get put on a team with like sam black severa <laughs> uh justin cohen webb josh joe you know just like all these people that i like and i was like okay that's cool and then yeah just like the the grand prix last weekend would have been fine if i was like 13 and one at one point by myself, I would have been okay with that. But like the fact that every round, like me, Sam Raptor, Severa Webb, we're talking to each other, just like, what's your record? What'd you play against? Like how bad did you smash him? Were there any good stories? You know, like, and we're rooting for each other. And it's like, you know, I, I get to play for Sam black in the last round, which is a thing that I never thought I would ever do in my life. But I was like, no, <laughs> I, I want my teammate to get in and all this stuff. And like, uh, he finishes his match. He comes up to me as I'm getting up from my chair and he's like, Hey, like what happened in your match? And I was like, I played. And he's like, what happened in your match? I'm like, I won. And he's like, I won. And I was like, well, then you should be in top eight. And he was just like, I didn't even know I was live. And then he hugged me. And it's like, that doesn't happen without the team thing. I don't Hmm. think. So I don't know. Last weekend was like one of the most fun tournaments I've played in my entire life, not only because of the deck or because Vancouver's awesome or, you know, Miku is great or whatever. It was just like the team thing was really good. Awesome. Cool. Right. Um, I'm, I'm just actually, I'm wrapping this up with, with asking Jerry a question about um, when you first came out with, with your podcast, the game podcast, Jerry, I just felt like you filled a void that I w- always wanted to be filled. I mean, you call your, uh, your, yourselves as the only hyper-competitive podcast, and I feel like it's taken a long time for people like like of your caliber to put together a, a podcast like that. I think there's there's been attempts, but it's like when we started, when I started the A-Team, it's just like we were the most popular cast at the time because we were just four guys – just talking, no one really knew who we were, but we were the only option. And yeah. everyone knew that podcast, maybe people didn't know that podcast is a very popular form of content, but no pros decided to, to go to that direction. Do you know what, what made you decide to finally go, okay, let's do a podcast? So there are people that make content for a living, and then there are the people that play magic for a living. And then, you know, the content people also play Magic and the professional people also make content, but it's not like their main thing, right? So it is very weird for there to be a Platinum Pro who is very focused on his content. Uh, and I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm a lowly gold guy. So uh, <laughs> I, I am very competitive and I can play that role really well. And I don't know. That's just the type of stuff that I want to talk about, like the nuance and just like all the, all the spiky things. I like that stuff. And I like doing content. And eventually it was like, yeah, I guess I haven't done a podcast yet. Let's do that. But like, who can I do it with? And uh, Majors and I are a relatively recent friendship, I think. I met him while I was still working at Wizards. And then Andrew Brown just showed up out of nowhere, basically beat the crap out of me in some team Grand Prix. And then I was watching him because I was just like, this this kid's on to something. You know, he knows what's up. 
And sure enough, you know, like we ended up being pretty good friends and they, they can both talk, you know, they're both super smart. We have different opinions. And I was like, this is a good mix of people. And then I think that was just it. It was time to actually try and do something with it. Wow. Like the, fre- you say it's a fresh new relationship, but I'm listening to the last episode again on, on the way back from work. And I felt either it's insanely good. I tweeted this, either it's insanely good editing or the chemistry, or it just feels, some parts actually are so good, it feels like you scripted it. It's good editing. Like, <laughs> Don't feel about the curtain, man. Just say, no, we're that good. It, it just sounds so insane. I'm not going to lie. Why would I lie? <laughs> I was like, Jerry should have been doing this seven years ago. <laughs> like, this is so good. <laughs> man, maybe I need to give my editor a raise. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you mentioned, yeah, it's hard to find those players. Like, I'm I'm lucky enough for, for this new show of my like, every... One of my co-hosts has basically played at the PT or has had some sort of GP success, whether it be top eight or winning it. It's it's hard to find like a, a platinum caliber player also willing to do uh, this type of content on, on a regular basis, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so. podcasting, I think, is kind of a thankless thing, right? Like people will come up to me and tell me all the time how much they love it, but it's like I'm not making money off this or whatever. It is very much like a give back type of deal. And people like it, and that's good enough. But it's like a lot. Of, a lot of people are value based. A lot of their decisions are based on how much money they're making as a result of this. And you know, this gets my name out there. Uh, it makes people like me. I don't know. So like, there's there's value in that. Plus, it's just fun. You know, like it gives me a reason to talk to majors every week, which we probably wouldn't do otherwise. So. <laughs> It just sounds amazing. It always sounds amazing. And, and to all our listeners who are, are probably already subscribed to the, to the game podcast, if they're not, they should definitely check it out or check out Jerry on SCG. The only reason I ever have premium, it's him. So go check out. My videos out. are on select now too. So there's that. <laughs> His videos are on select. Uh, anything else, uh, Jerry? No, I'm good. I miss you guys. I haven't talked to you guys in a while. Yeah. We'll I miss you soon, Gerald. We'll definitely be at a tournament and we'll, uh, we'll have some good times. Dude, we were at Denver, and we never saw each other. I know. Denver was a special situation for me. I had other stuff going on. I, I'm actually uh, – I think I'm going to be moving to Denver very shortly. I'll, I'll put that out there. Yeah, so I wanted to scope out the area and, I, again, didn't make day two. This has been some of the worst magic of my life, by the way. I don't win at magic anymore. That's why you don't see me. We used to be, like, at, at top tables, like, competing. Now I just lose immediately. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really – I did that for a while. Magic. I'm trying to turn it around, though, you know? That's good. Good. Maybe I'll start turning around too. You'll be my inspiration. I'll flip the script. Play more four fours. <laughs> I don't think so, Brian. Every time like you you scrub out, it's like a Facebook or a Twitter update that you're snowboarding already. You're like, oh, that can't, wait. can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> so, that so that's true. what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Your heart's not into it anymore, Brian. <laughs> it never was though, KYT. So <laughs> I can't say that's the determining factor. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, Jerry. I, I appreciate every single time that, that you come on. It's a huge favor to me. And uh, thank you, everyone, for, for watching. And if you enjoyed, Jerry, if you enjoyed the guys, the show, leave a YouTube thumbs up. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week. We're, we've got uh, John Stern lined up at some point. We've got Chantel nice. lined up. Uh, she did amazing. And I've heard from Jared Gachati that she's actually a modern sicko. So a lot of Albertans respect her. So can't wait to get her on and uh, Jonathan Medina on eventually because he's back. Actually, he's back in the magic fold. He's now the content manager of Kuka Trade. So I uh, can't wait to get him. Like these three, hopefully we get him on at some point in the near future. No guarantees, but I have 
I have them lined up for potential shows. So thanks a lot. Thanks again, Jerry. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Brian. And we'll see you next week. We'll be right back.